Anyway, Nehemiah chapter 2, 11, verse, uh, uh, verse 11 through 20. The Bible says, I, Nehemiah, came to Jerusalem and was there three days. I arose in the night. I and a few went men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent wall and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, uh, which were broken down and its gates were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. A lot of rubble. And so I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Uh, and by the way, you know, uh, we're going to be talking about some leadership principles tonight. I'm not really going to touch on this. But it's important that you not minimize the problem. And it's important that you deal with the problem and not try to candy coat the problem. You've got to look at the problem. You've got to be honest about the problem. Unlike what's happening today in the political environment where they're trying to deny the problem, that there is a problem, that, that somebody else caused the problem, all of that's going on. Now the reality is you have to focus on the problem. And when you focus on the problem, then you have to give people the opportunity to rally around with God's help and to deal with the problem. But if you don't recognize there's a problem and you don't uh, 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 look at the problem for what it is, then uh, all you're going to do is gloss over the problem and you'll always have a problem. Anyway, let's, let's keep going on. So I told them of the hand of my God which was upon me, uh, uh, had been good upon me, and also the king's words that had spoken to me. And so they said, let us rise and build. And then they set their hands to do this good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? And so I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or, rem or memorial in Jerusalem. So just for some of y'all that weren't here for the last few times we've talked on this, just kind of a little background. Nehemiah is a cupbearer in the service of the king of Babylon. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He is an uh, administrator in the Babylonian government. He is a Jew. He was reared in Babylon. He's never been to Israel, but being Jewish, he knows the history of his people, the promises made to Abraham, the land that was promised to them, and the city where the temple had been set up. Upon the return to Babylon of some of his fellow Jews who had gone back during the, uh, uh, the repatriation of Israel, they came back to Babylon, probably had family there, had business there. And when they were there, he took the opportunity to ask them concerning the people of Israel who had gone back and concerning the city of Jerusalem. And they told him that the walls had been broken down. Hearing the walls were broken down and the gates were burned with, with fire, a great burden came upon him. And that burden turned itself into a prayer uh, 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 visual, and, and that prayer visual led to a desire and a vision to do something about that situation. Most of the time in the modern-day church, people still get visions. I mean, they still get burdens, but their burden leads to prayer, and their prayer leads to a vision for somebody else to do something about it. 
They come and tell me all the time, Pastor, you should do something about this. <laughs> That's not what happened to Nehemiah. As we may well know, eventually Nehemiah, with the favor and empowerment of God, was able to lead the people of Israel to rebuild the city walls that had sat broken down for 140 years, and he did it in a period of 52 days. Today we want to begin to see more in detail how this work played itself out as he obeyed, obeyed the call to go. First thing we want to look at today, there's I think six or seven things, I can't remember, but we're just going to touch on them uh, a little bit. We, we, we're not going to, each one of these could be a whole message in and of itself, but we're just going to touch on them real quickly. First thing he did is he embraced the call. God gave him an opportunity. The king uh, uh, asked him what he wanted. He declared what he wanted. He got, uh, uh, not only did he have a burden, not only did he have a vision for it, he got commissioned to do it. And then this point is, he actually came to Jerusalem, and when he was in Jerusalem, he was there three days. That's We're just reading from the uh, verse 11. So the first thing we see is that Nehemiah came to Jerusalem. This seems like an innocuous statement, but what's important here is that Nehemiah is actually doing what he had been called and commissioned to do. While we won't spend a lot of time here, uh, the thing that, that I think about is how many people feel called to do something, may even have been commissioned or empowered by a prophetic word, but yet never really get around to actually doing what God said they should be doing. They may talk about it, uh, Talk, you know, talk to people all the time. I feel like God wants me to do this. I have a call on my life. I want this to happen. They may talk about it. When did you get this call? 25 years ago. When do you feel like God put this on your heart? Oh, oh, it was a long, you know, service back then. But to them, that call is just as real, and it is because the gifts and the callings of God are without reproach, but they never do anything about it. They may talk about it. They may think about it. They may desire to someday, but that someday never seems to come. Nehemiah not only embraced the call, but he actually went and he finds himself actually in the city where he was called to do something. In Genesis 12, 1, and then verse 4, was a, there's a, 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 a really well-known story of, about a guy named Abraham. And Abraham, the Bible says, the Lord said, get out of your country, from your family, from your, from your father's house, and go to a land that I will show you. Now, here's the thing that made Abraham, Abraham, is this three words, Abraham departed. What does that mean? Now, when God spoke to him, he said, get out of this place and go to the place that I'm going to show you. Abraham, so Abraham departed, and we'll read the rest, as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And here's the thing, Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. But what's important here is that God had revealed himself to him. God had given him a vision. God had given him a purpose. He'd given him a commission. But what made Abraham different than many of us, if we were honest, is that Abraham actually took steps to do what God told him to do. Now, don't think that Abraham didn't know how he was going to do it. God didn't tell him. He didn't even tell him where he was going. He said, as you go, I will show you. So Abraham began the process of going, and as he began to go, God began to show him. 
It reminds me of Peter who said, I want to I walk on the water like you, Lord. I see you walking on the water. Bid me come, they may, I may walk on the water. If he had got bogged down in, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to do it. What are the physics behind it? Am I going to have enough, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, so am I, is it going to sustain me? Am I going to have the provision that I need? No, he just got on the water. When he got on the water, God met him there on the water. Literally, God met him on the water. So at some point, when God reveals himself to you, you actually have to put feet to your faith. You have to begin the journey to the place or the responsibility God is leading you to. In my own personal life, when God called me to ministry, I had to begin somewhere. I, I, I didn't want to go to Bible school because at that particular time of my life, I thought, man, if I go to Bible school, Jesus might come back. I'll never get to do what God called me to do. I just want to go out and I want to begin to preach, you know. Uh, but the Lord was, was, was uh, counseled me. The Lord showed me, revealed himself to me. You know, you need to go to Bible school. Now, I'll just tell you a story. I said, Lord, I don't want to go to Bible school. He said, if I go to Bible school, you've got to come back when I'm in Bible school. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, like I was telling you, the Lord spoke to me. He said, Rick, he said, when you stand before me, he said, I'm not going to ask you how many souls did you win for me. I'm going to ask you, were you faithful to do what I asked you to do? And so if you're out there on the streets and you're winning souls, but I asked you to go to Bible school, but you win lots of souls when you stand before me, and I say, did you do what I asked you to do? And you say, I, I won all these souls. Well, did you do what I asked you to do? I will not be able to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. But if you go to Bible school like I tell you to, I'm telling you to go to Bible school, and you don't win one soul, and I come back. He said, when you stand before me, and I said, were you faithful to do what I asked you to do? Did you go to Bible school like I asked you? I said, yes, Lord. I will be able to tell you at that particular time. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's just about doing what he says to do. And sometimes we get hung up on that. We think, well, i got to figure it all out. No, sometimes you just got to start wherever you start. In my particular case, I had to go to Bible school. I didn't know how I was going to be able to do it. Uh, my parents were going to pay for me to go to Bible school. And so how I was going to do it, you know, I wanted to go to one particular Bible school. The Lord led me to another Bible school in Southwestern. I, I applied. I had no money. I had no resources. I had no clothes. I had nothing. But the Lord, as I applied, opened up a door. I got a letter. You got provision. I went. When I went there, it was not what I thought, but I went there. And God began the process of working its way out. And that was in 1987. And now I'm, I am in ministry. I've been in ministry since that time. And so uh, I thought that I might never get to preach. I might never get to win souls for the Lord. But God knew. I just had to take the first step. And that's the thing is we get called, we get commissioned, we get a, a prophetic word, we get all of these things. You may not go straight into the thing that God told you to do, but you got to start somewhere. you got to put feet to your faith. And that's what Nehemiah did. He embraced the call. Then when he got there, the second thing he did is he evaluated the problem. All right, Nehemiah 2, 13 through 15. I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and refuge gate, viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, its gates, which were burned with fire. And I went on to the fountain gate to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up by, in the night by the valley, viewed the wall. I turned back, entered by the valley gate, and so returned. So when Nehemiah set foot in Jerusalem, the first thing he did was to survey the problem. He didn't ignore it. He didn't hide from it, but he went out and he looked at it square in the face, 
all the, all, at the same time believing God to help him to do the work. The work was incredibly, almost impossibly, if you looked at it with human eyes, they didn't have cranes, they didn't have uh, all the things that we have, they didn't have any of that. And so if you looked at it, you looked at that problem, sometimes the last thing you want to do is, go, I, I don't know how to do it, I don't know what I'm going to do, it's so overwhelming, we just want to shut down. But you can't do that. You have to look at the problem, as I was telling you before, you have to look at the enormity of the problem, but don't forget God in the middle of the problem. Nehemiah looked at the problem. He surveyed everything. He looked at all the stuff that was there. But I would imagine while he was looking at, uh, he was looking at all the, 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 the stuff that was falling down and broken down. But the Lord was telling him, uh, we got this. Don't worry about this. I've got this. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to help you in the middle of the process. You just got to get out there and you got to get it started. Because it's not me, it's not Nehemiah that wanted the city walls built. It's God that wants the city walls built. It's not me, uh, I, I, when, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's not me that wants people in the city to be uh, one for the Lord. I do want that, but that's God's vision. He invited me into this vision. Well, how am I going to do that? How are we going to accomplish this? What is going to happen? What do we need to do to do that? If you get into God's vision, then God is the one that's going to provide. God is the one that's going to do. But he doesn't tell you at the beginning. He just invites you into the process. And as you take steps of faith, God will begin to unravel what he already has provided for and made a way for. But we have to step into it. Mark eleven twenty two through 23, Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. It reminds me of, of uh, Ezekiel, is it Ezekiel standing before the, uh, the, the dry bones? Whose idea was it to prophesy to the bones? God, right? So why is Ezekiel prophesying to this mountain of a problem? There's dead, dry, and God did not hesitate, and Ezekiel did not hesitate to talk about how bad the problem was. They weren't just dead. They were deader than dead. They were dry dead. <laughs> they were very, very dry, right? And God said, prophesy the bones. So whose idea was it? God. So how could Ezekiel prophesy to this problem, to this mountain of a problem? Because God sent him to do it. What good is it going to be to talk to bones? It's not going to do any, any good if you're doing it in your own strength, but if you're prophesying and the Spirit of God's behind you, then when you prophesy to those bones, God is... Uh, um, uh, try to find a way to say this without minimizing God in it, but it's almost like God is released to do the work. So, well, God's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. He can, but he chose to do it through us. That's why you'll always find a man involved. In fact, it says in Ezekiel 22 and 30, as I looked for someone to stand in the gap, but I could not find one. So his hands were tied. What did he say about Esther? If you don't stand up, God will raise somebody else. Why didn't he say, well, God's going to do it anyway? No, he said, God will raise up somebody else. Because God works in, with, and through people. 
So faith is never relegated in the Bible to avoiding the problems at hand. Neither is faith presented as denying the problems at hand. No, faith is looking squarely at the problem and trusting God to help you and to help him help you to deal with it and to overcome it. Faith illustrated looks like David going out to face the giant Goliath. He was, in the eyes of people, a giant. But David, who according to Jewish lore was a small man, he went out to face this giant. He took the first steps. He trusted in God, and he trusted in God to help him to overcome what was a monumental problem to everybody else. And in the end, after it was over, I'm sure everybody was saying, oh, I thought it was going to be harder than that. Well, it is hard if it's us. But if God is working in us and through us, it becomes as simple as raising a staff and telling the sea to part. So that's what Nehemiah is doing. He's facing the problem. The third thing is you, he engaged the leaders, the, uh, uh, the leaders that were already there, already in place. In Nehemiah 2, 16 through 18, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. So who is he talking about? He's talking about the leaders of the people. And I said to them, you see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. So what is he doing? He's not commanding them. He's inviting them into the work. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. And so they said, the leaders said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. So Nehemiah was smart enough and wise enough to understand that he couldn't tackle this problem on his own. It, couldn't, it wasn't even going to work with him and just God. I mean, it, it could, but he'd have to give Nehemiah st supernatural strength, supernatural long life, and, you know, it, and, and, and a resistance uh, to all the naysayers that were around him, but that's not how God works. God doesn't work through an individual most of the time alone. He works through an individual that has a group of people that gather around them, and the community does the work. God does work through leaders. All throughout the Bible, God's way of working is through leaders. He works through leadership. He imparts a vision. He imparts a word. He imparts a, 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 a something uh, to, to a leader who then speaks to the people. And then the people have the opportunity to uh, sense the Spirit of God working through the leader that God has working through, God has chosen to work through. And then through that leader, the invitation comes to join in doing the work. To accomplish that which God had placed on his heart, Nehemiah would need the help of the people to, be, to build. Nehemiah gathered the leaders of the people and engaged them, not with his desire, but what was God's desire. He was engaging them to move into God's vision, not his vision. It wasn't his vision to begin with. Remember, uh, he was just asking about how things were going, and all of a sudden when he asked about the walls, all of a sudden he had this great burden come upon him, and as he began to pray it out, he began to realize that he, he was supposed to do something about it, but the 
vision that he got wasn't his vision. It was like God opened the window to show him God's desire and invited Nehemiah into the process. Remember Moses, when Moses was around the burning bush, and God said, I'm going to deliver my people from Egypt. And then he tells Moses, and Moses, I'm sending you to do it, but I'm going to be with you. So who wanted the Israelites free? God did. And he invited Moses into the process, and through Moses, God was going to go back and invite the people into the vision of God. Sometimes as leaders, we get confused and we begin to think that this is what I want, or it's to, it's to exalt me, or to do what I will and what I desire. No, it's always to follow the will of God, to do the work of God. And we invite others, and if, you're, if, you're, if it's from God and God's working in your lives, you know, you can be a charismatic peop- person and invite people into your vision and think that the people are there to serve you, but they're not. The people are there together. We're all together to do the work of God. Nehemiah gathered the leaders of the people and engaged them with the vision to rebuild. Numbers 11, 14 through 17, uh, uh, Moses says, I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you, God, treat me like this, please kill me here and now. (laughs) This is Moses, Lord. I'm just reading scripture. I'm not saying this for myself. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. In other words, they're, they're, they're leaders. They, uh, uh, you can tell people that have that gift or ability or, or mantle of leadership on their life, whether they're Christians or not. There, there are people that just have that within them. God put that in them. And Moses says, gather these 70 men of Israel who you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same spirit upon them. And then together they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. You know, one of the things that, that, that I learned, um, you know, is, is that... Uh, sometimes as a leader, if you are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? If you are, Lord, give me that word. I know what it is. Insecure, you get threatened by other leaders, right? And so what you want to do is, is, is if you're threatened by other leaders, what do you want to do? You want to, you want to push them away. But one of the things that, that you're not going to do is if you push the leaders away, you're not going to have the leaders there to help you because you need them, and God sent them your way to help you. So you can't be threatened by leaders. You have to be secure in what God's called you to do, and you have to let leaders be leaders. And by the way, when leaders come into your congregation or leaders come in and, and help you or they surround you and they begin to do with you, you don't just get the best part of leaders. You get all of the leader. And guess what leaders have? Leaders have opinions. <laughs> what? Yes, well, yeah, they have faults, but they have blessings as well, right? So anytime you have leadership and you get leadership involved and you say, well, I feel like we're supposed to get this way, you're always going to have a leader say, no, I feel like we're supposed to give this way. And you got another one's going to say, I feel like we're supposed to give that. That's the nature of leadership. But somehow uh, you've got to trust God that in, you can't be threatened by that. 
you, you have to realize it's part of leadership. And, and so if you're going to lead leaders, you have to realize that that's just part of it. And you need their advice. The Bible says in a multitude of counsel, there is wisdom. Sometimes I know what to do by hearing what somebody says to do and realizing, no, we're not going to do that. But sometimes somebody will share something that I never thought of, and I said, oh, that's pretty good. I never thought about that. I feel like the, the, the breath of God is on that. And eventually, if the Lord is moving in their midst, there, there becomes a consensus of what it is that God wants you to do. And many times it's, it's yeah, Moses, we got you now. We understand what God wants to do. Yes, Nehemiah, we understand, and we want to gather around you. you know? And then what happens, we can learn from Nehemiah that there are no lone rangers in the kingdom. God doesn't intend for us to do anything alone. But his desire is that we band together in unity to accomplish his will for our lives and for the area, the sphere that he has given us to minister in. But the, the fourth thing we're going to look at is that anytime you do a work for God, the adversary is in flame. I, I, I chose these words because they all began with E. <laughs> when he began to do the work of God, it inflamed the adversary. Nehemiah 2.19, when Sanballat the Horonite, you ever get around a Horonite, you got to be careful. Tobiah the Ammonite and Geshem the Arab heard of it. They laughed at us and despised us and said, Why, what is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time here because I'm actually working on another message where I talk about the, the, the things that the enemy will do to try to obstruct the work that you're doing. Whatever it is that the work has God called you to do, there's going to be internal attacks, there'll be external attacks, there'll be personal attacks, all of those things the enemy tries to do to stop the work of God. But New Testament tells us that as well, 1 Peter 5 and 8 uh, through 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a luring lion seeking whom he may devour. What are we supposed to do? Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. 1 Corinthians 16, 8 through 9, Paul says, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has been opened to me, and yet there are many adversaries. And another one, I don't know, I thought I put it in there, but it's not. I said, we meant to come to you sooner, but the enemy hindered us. While he has many tools, what the enemy seeks to do above all else is cause the work of God to cease. So one of the things we have to understand is that when we're doing a work for God, it's, it's and God's behind us, yes, uh, and there's part of us that thinks this is going to be a great work. It's going to be an awesome work because God is on our side. But don't be mistaken that there won't be challenges. There will be challenges. And we have to understand that the challenges, what they want to do is they want to cease. They want to stop the work. Either by dividing, because what, what is the greatest way to cause a, a, a work to stop is to divide and conquer to divide us, right? And what happens when we divide? Well, I'm going over here, or I'm going over here, and the next thing you know, everything stops. That's what the enemy wants to do. So the, when you recognize that, you understand well, that the enemy's tactics is to divide and conquer. So uh, God doesn't want any of us uh, the enemy doesn't want any of us accomplishing God's will for our lives, and he's going to do anything he can and, but, and use any means he can to shut us down. So what do we do about that? Well, point five, Nehemiah emphasized his faith. 
Nehemiah 2 and 20. So I answered them, the enemy, and I said to them, the God of heaven will prosper us. Today we would say, if God be for me, who can stand against me? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. No tongue that is raised shall stand, right? Uh, where two or three are, are we just, we'll just hammer them with the word is what we'll do. But here he's saying, the God of heaven will prosper us. Therefore, we as servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. What we see Nehemiah doing is speaking in faith what God will help him to do. How often do we fall prey to speaking forth not what God is saying, but what the enemy is shouting? Instead of emphasizing the work of God, we emphasize the uh, uh, work of the enemy, right? Oh, man, it's just horrible. Everything's going bad. It's, we're never going to finish, it's, and nothing's going to happen. Every time we do something, there's something that goes wrong. I knew this, was, and we start doing that. Nobody here would do that, right? Instead of saying, you know, and, and, and I was talking with somebody the other day. You know, I wasn't feeling the other, good the other day, but I didn't let them know that. And they weren't feeling good, but they told me that. And I said, I said I don't, I'm not going to do this. I said, no, yeah, you are. He said, well, I don't feel like, I don't feel good. I said, no, you need to get over and do that. You're the point person. You got to do that. And, and, and it's hard to do, but they didn't know that I was hurting too. Sometimes I come to church and I, I'm not feeling good, I'm, but I got, I got a responsibility. I got to do that. I got to trust God. Right? And so you don't sit there and talk about your problems. What you talk about is the God that's bigger than your problems. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? If God be for me, who can stand against me? No weapon we are formed against me shall prosper. No tongue that is raised shall stand. I may not feel good, but that's okay. God will give me the strength that I need. How many times have you come in the sanctuary? How many times have y'all come in the sanctuary? You didn't, maybe you came to cook one and you didn't feel good, whatever. But you came anyway, and God met you there. He met you there. <laughs> Nehemiah. I mean, in Numbers 13, 32 through 33. And they gave the children of Israel, the spies, a bad report of the land when they had gone in to spy out the land, which they spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone out as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. They, we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, come from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. What are they talking? They're talking the negative stuff. Now, there was positive stuff, but they didn't chose, choose to focus on the positive. They didn't choose to focus on the God that, that had done wonders in their life. What they chose to focus on was the negative. And I'm telling you, there's always going to be negative things. There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be circumstances. There's always going to be challenges. But if you just focus on the challenge, you will talk yourself out of that which God is leading you into. That's why we do the declaration because, you know, sometimes when we declare, we may not feel like that. You know, we got other thoughts running through our head. Oh, I don't get terrible. You know, but you do it anyway. Because we're speaking forth what God is going to do. Amen? Matthew 4, 8 through 11. The devil took Jesus up to an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to me, to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written. 
You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Jesus didn't argue with the devil, but he sent, and he didn't talk to the devil. To, to, he didn't speak what the devil was saying, but he simply spoke the word of God. He spoke God's will into the situation, and what we find is that eventually the devil left him. By faith, we need to speak what God is saying, what God has said, and what God will do. That's what Nehemiah was doing as well. I was listening to a, a, a message uh, today. I, I do that when I walk. I go and I, I, I listen to podcasts. And, and uh, I couldn't find really anybody to listen to, so I listened to myself. Uh, I listened to a message that I preached on um, uh, faith, uh, uh, healing is a process, right? And when I, when, I, when, I, you know, when I was going through the first part of it, I said something like, uh, I'm not just believing for healing. We, we want to believe for healing. We want to believe that people will be healed. But I'm believing for more than that. I'm believing for health and wholeness. And when I said that, I was like, oh, man, I forgot. I forgot that's what I'm believing for. He said, you know, because sometimes you just get focused on where you're at. You know, I need this in my life. I need, I need my back to get better. I need my, the, 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 the I'm, I'm struggling with, you know, uh, uh, allergies right now. And I need that to be, I want to get out all of my, and I began to realize I got focused. That's easy to get focused on that. And I'm not saying it's not necessary, but what I'm saying is that I forgot the greater vision is I don't just want to be, you know, trying to get back to even, I want the bar to be that I walk in health and wholeness. Right? And so, and so, you know, it's not just, you get away from me, devil. You get away from me, devil. You get away. No. I'm, my Nehemiah says, no, we're going to build this city, and God's going to prosper us in the work. And really, in some ways, the, the more resistance you face, the more you can begin to uh, uh, say to yourself, man, we must be on the right track. We're about to get a breakthrough, right? Because it got really hard here. Well, that just means that it's about to be really good. Because if the devil's ratcheting up, he don't, he don't attack people that aren't doing anything. He attacks people that are doing something for God. And so you have to change the way you think. So not only did that, that's what Nehemiah uh, uh, was doing as well. He was speaking by faith what God would do, and he pressed on with the work of God at hand. He didn't let the enemy keep him from the work. And then number six he also empowered the leadership, Nehemiah 3, 1 through 2. Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and he built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the Tower of Hananel. Next to him, Eliashib, the men of Jericho, built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. And so what you go, if you were to read these chapters and go more and more, it'll talk about this leader and with his men built this. This leader with his men built this part of the wall. This leader built with his men built this part of the wall. What we see happening here is that Nehemiah didn't get too involved in the nitpicking of what was going on. He didn't get too, too uh, uh, involved in the what's and the how's of building the wall. Now, don't misunderstand me. There was a wall that needed to be built. You couldn't put a toilet in the middle of the living room. You know, that, that, that is not going to happen. But, you know, how you put that toilet in, that's up to you. As long as it passes, I don't care how you do it. Just get it done. 
right? You and your crew get in there. This is the vision. This is what we want. And sometimes, you know, you just got to let people go. It doesn't mean you to check on them and make sure that they're keeping with the overall plan, but you, you can't be over-controlling. You've got to empower the leaders and let the leaders take responsibility for their section of the wall and let them do the work. Now, I didn't put this in here, but he also, what you will find is a lot of them were building in the areas that impacted their lives. So if I had a, a what you'll see is that if I, one of them owned a, 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 a house in a certain section of the city, well, guess where they built the wall? They didn't build it in a place that didn't impact them. They built it in the place right in front of their home. That's what was happening. And Nehemiah didn't say, no, no, you can't do that. You got to, no, let them build where, they, where, where it's going to impact in their life. If it means something to them, let them go. Let them build. Let them do what they're going to do, you know. And, and that's what we have to realize is that he wasn't over-controlling, but empowering that he let the leaders take responsibility for their section and he let them do the work. As long as they were building and the work was coming together, Nehemiah didn't step in there and try to hinder them, but he actually encouraged them in the work that they were doing. What a lesson for us as we seek to bring people together to do the work God has placed on our hearts. One of the things that I've, uh, and I'm not, I don't consider myself to be a great leader, but I, I do have some leadership ability in me. But one of the things that I, I try to do is I don't try to hire a person. When I say hire, I'm just using like a, a I don't try to bring in somebody to do a certain work. I feel like the Lord brings in someone, and it's my responsibility to figure out where they would work best. And that's just kind of how things have, have, have happened in, in, in my ministry. Maybe i got to learn how to do things different because, you know, we're not running 2,000 people. But the reality is I've always felt like that's, you know, you've got to bring somebody in. Okay, there's some gifts and talents here. Where would you work best? It's kind of like if God brings a, 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 a male singer to you, um, you're not going to try to fit them into a soprano part. Where would you work best? Right? And so you find out what their range is. They want to sing. And so you try to fit them into a place where it would work best for them, not work best for me. But sometimes that's what we do. What works best for me? I don't need this. I don't need that. And so sometimes we want to reject people or, or we want to mold them into something that they're not. We need to let them be who they are. We need to find what God has called them to be. And then we need to, to fit them into a place where they want to be. They will take responsibility and they will build. Right? So, um, let, uh, what a lesson for us. Let the leaders do what they do. They lead. Don't overly control what's happening in their work. It doesn't mean you don't guide. You don't focus them back to the vision. But let the work take shape as the people doing the work make it happen. Don't go to the mat for everything. One of the things, if you, if you want to have a successful marriage, don't go to the mat for everything. If you want to get along good with your roommate, don't go to the mat for everything. I'm not talking about girl and boy roommate. I'm talking about, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Do you understand? Some, if you go to the mat for everything, not only will you be miserable, the people around you will be miserable, and they're not going to want to be around you anymore. 
people are different. They all do things different. And you have to let them be who they are. Call them up to righteousness, but righteousness doesn't look like you. All right. Anyway, the seventh point we want to look at is that Nehemiah, and the last point, endorsed the workers. Again, we're starting with an E, Nehemiah 3, 1 through 2. Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with the brethren, the priests, built the sheep cake. They consecrated it, hung its doors. They, filled as, they built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated. Next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Emery built. I read that before, but I'm reading it again for a reason. The last thing we need to see that Nehemiah did was that he endorsed the work. When I say endorse, what I mean is that he supported, he validated, and recognized the contribution that others were doing in bringing God's will to pass. This wasn't Nehemiah's work. It was God's work. Nehemiah wasn't gathering all the glory to himself, but was recognizing what others were doing of those who were involved in the work. How was he doing so? He was writing their names down. He was putting it in print, the workers and what they were doing. And so their work was being recognized. And today we're still reading about people that we don't know because Nehemiah thought it was important that their contributions be memorialized in the work and the penmanship of the book that he was describing, the work that had been done in Jerusalem. In other words, these people... I want them to know that what they did mattered. That's something I've got to get better at. My wife is good at that. I've got to get better at. But I do want you to know that anything that's happening here is because we're working together and everybody is contributing and everybody's doing a part. You know, and, and that's one of the things the Lord told me a long time ago because Rick used to be different. Rick used to want to have his hand in everything. And the Lord spoke to me. I said, if you want your people to get engaged, you have to stop doing things. Because if you do it, they won't. And it wasn't just about me being um, uh, keeping myself from burning out. It's my job, my purpose, what God anointed and called me to do was to equip the body. That's my job. Well, why don't you do it? <laughs> That's the other side. Why don't you do it? <laughs> because it's not my job. My job is to raise up people to do the work. And that's what God desires for his people, to engage the people of God. I don't think that I haven't done it. I've done it. I was at a church where I opened the, the, the church. I taught Sunday school. I led worship. I preached. I, uh, I did the altar call. I did the altar work. I closed the building. I want to tell you something. The church didn't grow, and neither did I. It's not the right way to do things. The way you do things is you empower people and release people. Now, you, another sermon is you don't just empower anybody. They have to be leaders, they have to have character, they have to have, you don't just put anybody in the work. Paul said, lay hands on no man suddenly, right? In other words, don't empower people suddenly. You've got to get to know who they are. But the reality is if you're not empowering people to do the work, then you're going to stagnate pretty fast, right? So Nehemiah endorsed the leaders. He recognized them. He, he uh, encouraged them. He, he validated 
what they were doing. Nehemiah, and the result was Nehemiah, with the favor of God, was able to lead the people of Israel to rebuild the city walls that had sat broken down for 140 years in a period of 52 days. Now, you need to realize is that that rebuilding of the city wall didn't benefit Nehemiah because where did Nehemiah live? In Babylon. So who did it benefit? The people, right? Now, I'm sure Nehemiah was elated, was fulfilled, uh, satisfied with being used of God. But, you know, um, as, as leaders, we have to realize is that we're not building something for me. We're building something that you will get to be a part of, that you will get to enjoy, that you will benefit from. When the Lord begins to move, and God begins to touch, and God begins to heal, and God, it's, it's what we all want. We all want to be in the middle of the presence of God. We all want to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit of God touching and healing, not only us, but our children, the prodigals coming, our children come, our families restored, the city restored. We all want to see that. We all want to be a part of that. It benefits all of us. This isn't Rick's vision. It's God's vision. It's not Rick's work. It's God's work. And we all get to be a part of it. You know, sometimes I have to stand up here and I have to receive uh, honor, and I, I don't like that, but I just want you to know I'm very conscious of the fact that it's not me. It's us, and it's God working through us, and it will always be God working through us, and we'll all stand before God one day, and the Lord would say to each and every one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. In fact, we just had that word of God that said, I'm pleased. He didn't say, I'm pleased with you, Rick. He said, I'm pleased with this church. I'm pleased with this body. I'm pleased with what you're doing. And that's really the goal, isn't it? For God to be pleased with his people. 